the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepod with Alex Diamond and Dave Crowley. Hello and welcome to the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepod, the podcast where we look back at the seismic events of our past, have a short discussion before generally deciding that the French were to blame. I'm Dave Rattlehead Crowley, amateur history nerd, and joining me as ever is history scholar, General Secretary of the William the Conqueror fan club, and a man willing to go on record arguing that the prequels are better than the sequels, Alex Darth Diamond. Hello there, Dave. And yes, I like that introduction, actually. (laughs) I aim to please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I should say, actually, that uh, it's not just uh, Dave and I today. We're trying something a little bit different. And for this episode, uh, we're very fortunate to be joined by uh, another medieval historian, occasional castle builder and voyager of the North Sea world, Dr. Ben Kenobi Allport. <laughs> now, I should say that is my nickname. Ben does not go around calling himself Kenobi. Right. But... So I'm, I'm your only hope. Um... <laughs> We've got a good one. <laughs> um, I'll just give a quick introduction um, to, to Ben here. He, ben studied Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic as an undergraduate at Cambridge where he recently completed his PhD. There's nothing we can do about that, I'm afraid. He is a Cambridge man. We'll just have to, uh, you know, live with it. Um, His thesis was entitled A Long Time in Politics, The Relevance of Icelandic Techniques of Time Reckoning for Our Understanding of the Medieval Icelandic Worldview. Oh, that's, uh, that's... Don't worry, he's not. He's not here to talk about. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, uh, between undergraduate and doctoral studies, Ben spent two years gallivanting around the North Sea while ostensibly researching for a joint MPhil MA between the University of Iceland and the University of Oslo. He is currently a postdoctoral research fellow funded by the Leverhulme Trust. Uh, working on Norwegian social networks at the University of Bergen, from where he joins us now. Hello, Ben. Hello, and thank you very much for asking me to uh, to be involved. It's it's great to join you guys on on what is an excellent podcast. I think so. Thanks very much. I'm I'm buttering you up and then um, <laughs> let you down. Well, later. it's working. It's working. <laughs> So as a Viking expert and a man who embodies the Viking way of life himself, Ben is very well placed to help us talk about this episode's topic, the Viking raid on Lindisfarne, where we ask the question, savage slaughter of some peaceful men of God or some good old-fashioned Scandinavian wealth redistribution? Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts, I think we should probably start by explaining who the Vikings were. You know, so Ben, in a nutshell, what what are we talking about? What do we mean when we talk about Vikings? Yeah, this is the the, the big question, uh, as it were. Um, and I think uh, the the first thing to say is is that when we're talking about the Vikings, um, we're talking. It's a job description, um, at least in the way that it's used in contemporary sources. Um, so we do actually find the term being used, especially in Old Norse sources, um, but it, it describes, yeah, it describes a pirate or a, a raider, a sailor. Um, it's not an ethnic group. So uh, okay. there was there were never a group of people who called themselves the Vikings. And in fact, as as sort of as time goes on, we're, we're sort of getting the impression that maybe particularly later on in the Viking period, not, not all of the people involved in raids were necessarily Scandinavians, you know, the, the first ones okay. definitely were, but, but as time went on, it, it's likely that we're getting people from, 
um, Ireland and and um, the fringes of of uh, Britain joining in, you know, opportunistic mercenaries, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but 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 in the period we're talking about, right at the start, I think we can safely say these are all people from Scandinavia. Um, I mean, I think I think a lot of people bed at the moment. I mean, Vikings are very in vogue, particularly due to uh, the success of the uh, the joint venture between Amazon and the History Channel. Absolutely, yeah. Um, without touching upon any kind of affection I have for Lagatha. Um, <laughs> do you, as an expert on these things, historical accuracy in, in that show particular, is it is it a reasonable depiction of these people? I think that's what it is. I think it's a, a depiction of the people and um, a sort of uh, a summing up of, of some of the key events. I wouldn't call it historically accurate in terms of the way that the events proceed and and necessarily the characters. I mean, there is a, a, a guy that we find in sources from the sort of early to mid ninth century called Ragnar. Um, but the sort of Ragnar Lothbrok of legend probably doesn't really exist, you know, and, uh, and, you know, they, 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 they get um, a fair few things, right. They're clearly using the sources when they describe things like the siege of Paris and whatnot. Um, and they've they've clearly gone to a lot of effort with um, the look of things, um, with costumes and stuff like that. They were probably, I mean, we don't really know much about hairstyles and whatnot. But probably fewer undercuts and and tats, you know, the, 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 than we see <laughs> in the show. But um, but I think I think you know um, that it, it it gives a very good sort of impression of the period without, I would say, being a historical account of what happened. Um, Fair play to them, yeah. Yeah, I can go back to it guilt-free now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm uh, I'm doing the bidding of my PhD supervisor, who's a big fan uh, and was a historical advisor on it. Actually, uh, Elizabeth oh, Rowe, oh. at least partially. Oh, okay. She uh, she she very much hates the um, the uh, the Last Kingdom. Uh, you know, the, oh right, the, really? yeah, okay. yeah. See, uh, I, I'm a fan of the Last Kingdom, but maybe I, I need to rethink that now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, but I'm coming at it from the Anglo-Saxon perspective. I should say, I, I don't know if the Viking representation is is any good or not. No, if I, I remember rightly, there is a scene in the Vikings which um, which is quite cool, which is this first interaction that um, the Vikings they rock up on a beach somewhere and they have an interaction with this. Anglo-Saxon, uh, who they can't they can't understand each other, and uh, yes, and it, and it yeah. very rapidly turns into a fight. And oh, that, wow. that, that is actually based on on the first ever reference to the Vikings in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Um, in fairness, that's happened to a lot of people from Dudley when they've gone to Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh well, as, as a Warsaw man, I can attest to that. But <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, I forgot to say that, like us, you know, Ben is is a fellow Mercian. He's he's abandoned Anglo-Saxon England and has gone off to live the life of a Viking. But yes, you you are a Mercian uh, by birth. Oh, and, and by heart, you know, like uh, oh, good lad. Where my loyalties lie. <laughs> Perhaps before we talk about. Lindisfarne and indeed this raid that that you just mentioned you know the the, the first one um on on English soil maybe we could talk about why this particular group of people from this part of the world go on doing this viking activity why do they go on the raids when they do yeah absolutely and 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 this is like the the big debate um and lots of 
theories have been put forward, some some more convincing than others. Um, so the, the sort of the old, back in like the 19th century and stuff, the idea was that there was overpopulation in Scandinavia that sort of pushed people out. And we don't think that's very likely because uh, Scandinavia has a much bigger population now and still you can walk for days without seeing another person. So it doesn't seem... I think there were some suggestions that the bad weather in... Uh, in Norway was was a factor, and as a current resident of Norway, that that one does seem slightly more compelling. I'll be honest, but <laughs> I think um, for me, the the most likely thing, I, I I tend to see things in sort of broader a broader political context, and there's this idea that uh, at the end of the eighth um, century, you have the rise of uh, Charlemagne in uh, in in the uh, in Francia. Uh, yep. He creates the the Carolingian Empire, or big big player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, in the last three decades of the eighth century, he's involved in this huge war against the against Saxony. So that's you know just just south of the border with Denmark, and uh, and this puts a lot of pressure on the Danes who are allies with with the Saxons. Um, I say the Danes, but you know the people living in in Denmark. Sure, yeah, and uh, and 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 I think. That's when we start to see the raids begin in earnest. Is when um, Charlemagne is threatening Scandinavia, and that that causes um, them to retaliate a little bit. You start seeing these raiding parties. There's there's not much they can do about against this empire in a in a one on one situation. But what they can do is they can nibble away at the edges. So is it sort of because they can't match the might of the Franks in standard medieval pitch battle? Absolutely, they don't, yeah. they don't have the numbers. Is that is that essentially it? I, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the size of the of the Carolingian Empire at this point just just vastly it's outstrips. Huge. Yeah, yeah. And and what we're talking about in um, in Scandinavia is is really small kingdoms. You know, a lot of people calling themselves king, but but they don't have anything to back it up. Really, yeah. We sort of start to see this process of a lot of them trying to clump together and create bigger. Um, units, and this is how the Kingdom of Denmark starts to emerge. Um, do you, Do you think there's anything in the in the um, the Scandinavian people as well that that facilitated that this started in this part of the world? There was nothing in their culture which prohibited this kind of activity. You know, I think we can probably go a bit overboard in saying, you know, oh, that they were pagans and and uh, and. This martial culture was was you know bred into them and all that sort of thing. I, I think that that could well be a part of it, but you know, cash is cash as well, and and so they were <laughs> they they could see that you know they they had contacts with they had trade with um, the British Isles and the coast of Europe and stuff. They could see all of these really rich monasteries laden with silver, and you know they were undefended and a, a very tempting target. I think. Um, so he's obviously he's obviously a pro at this because he's just brought us straight to monasteries. <laughs> <laughs> he's, moving, he's moving the whole podcast. It's very along. smooth segue. Absolutely there. smooth, wonderful stuff. <laughs> so we we can now turn our attention, as you suggested, to monasteries and Linda's farm in particular. Perhaps we should just talk about um, why Linda's farm. Uh, it's certainly important in in the sort of English medieval historical psyche. Uh, the Vikings come at the end of the eighth uh, century. It's seven nine three is the year yeah. that they attack. Uh, it's not the first Viking raid on the British Isles, as far as we know. 
um, perhaps you could talk about that and then also talk about why why Lindisfarne if it's not the first then why do we think about it so much yeah absolutely um, and I think the most important point there is it, it may not be the first but it is also it is the first that we have some sort of concrete contemporary evidence for and that's because of a letter written by um, uh, a cleric at the an English um, cleric at the at the court of Charlemagne called Alcuin he writes a letter to the bishop of uh, of Lindisfarne after the attack and um, and sort of bemoans it t- tells him to I mean he sort of tells him to keep his chin up but he also he also very much uh, says this is the punishment from God and his reasons seem to be mostly you know for for wearing the wrong kind of clothes and getting drunk a little <laughs> bit too often he's, he's this, God God is very harsh in these in these um, <laughs> on these occasions apparently because yeah they, they'd been wearing uh, far too frivolous clothing and 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 having a bit too much of the communion wine so, that's where, uh, that's where it so, so they got Vikings <laughs> but um yeah I mean Absolutely. I think, I don't think we should see this as the first raid. Um, it's, we know at least that the Vikings had, uh, had turned up already, as I mentioned earlier, that they, uh, they turned up in Dorset, um, about six years earlier and, uh, killed a King's Reeve, uh, who came down to ask them to, to sort of pay a, a port charge. And, um, a Reeve and... is like a Royal agent, isn't it? Uh, in, yeah, in, yeah, the lo- sorry, in the localities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, the second half of the word sheriff, if you want to. Uh... Indeed, yes. The Shire Reeve, yes. Exactly. So, you know, I've got visions. When he says he has them to pay a port charge, I've got visions of some something akin to a traffic warden. <laughs> you can't park there, mate. You can't park that longboat there, I'm afraid. Not without a permit. No, I mean, not without a permit. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, you know. And, and you know, I think I feel like in those situations, we, we've all wanted to just let rip. And uh... <laughs> yes, <laughs> if only we could. <laughs> I'll take it an axe with me on holiday next summer. <laughs> <laughs> Can't pot where, mate. Oh no, you'll be all right. Oh, no, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, just, just wave it around. A bit. <laughs> but, I mean, Dorset is not the first place you'd think in terms of Viking activity. If they're coming from Scandinavia, you, you think you'd be pretty safe all the way across the other side of England, wouldn't you? Well, absolutely. they'd already heard of the English Riviera. After a holiday, holiday. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, but I think that's a really important point, actually, because. Um, yeah, Dorset's definitely not the first place they'd have got to. So if they're turning up in Dorset in the late uh, 780s, then they've they've been other places. And um, there's, there's a few routes, I think, to to uh, the British Isles. Um, and probably the, the earliest, most popular one was this route from Norway. Um, you can sail from Norway to the Shetland Islands. Once you've made it over that bit... You're, you've got a clear run. You're, you're never out of sight of land. Um, oh wow! Through through to the Irish Sea and, and down. So so you know I think that's probably the first route they took. Um, and whether they came as traders first or whether they were always just raiders, uh, it's hard to tell. Mm. But with Lindisfarne, it's it's kind of harder to know where they're coming from. Um, okay. And I actually think that um, that Denmark is a, is a compelling. Candidate. I mean, it's it's not that far away. You can just sail down the coast a bit and then cross over and up a bit. Um, and also during that period, this is this is exactly the period where we're starting to get loads of reports of of raids on 
along the coast of uh, France by by various uh, Danish warlords. So it, it, I would suggest that this is probably um, we're looking at a Danish sort of origin for these raiders. But this, now you know, that's my my feeling. You know, my speculation. But yeah, I mean, I think that sounds you know fairly legitimate to me. Um, do you think it was a planned raid? Is is the raid on Lindisfarne? You know, did they sit down like reservoir dogs and sort of say, right, you know, we're going to hit this monastery uh, at this time, or were they just (laughs) sailing around and they saw it and thought that looks good? Did they sit down and have a discussion about Madonna's like a virgin? (laughs) (laughs) I want to be Mr. Black. (laughs) Then hand out names. I I ended up with a very dramatic standoff, yeah. But But, uh, it's a very difficult question to answer. I'm not not sure I can can sort of fully commit on that one. Um, Yeah, fair enough. But I think... It is interesting um, that that they target a church. Um, what we learn from looking at the Irish sources is that uh, the the Vikings very quickly got the hang of you know got the hang of it. They knew what they were doing, and uh, and we have accounts of them turning up at churches on festival days. So um, they know that there are Christian festivals coming, and that the, on that day there's going to be a lot of people in the church. So they turn up to take hostages and stuff. Oh well. Wow. So, it's not it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that that they sort of cased the joint beforehand um <laughs> but it, it could also just be a hit and run you know who knows <laughs> yeah from from the anglo-saxon perspective there was no doubt in their minds you know that this was uh, all very preordained uh, yes. by god and whatnot i mean they in fact i don't know if you would uh uh, like me to to read out the the uh, entry in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle about this. Um, I think I a dramatic be... reading from the Chronicle would be great. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they <laughs> they fill it full of uh, juicy details. I mean, the 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 entry itself is not that uh, long, but the the embellishments are, are excellent. So, <laughs> yes. So uh, seven nine three. Here, terrible portents came about over the land of Northumbria and miserably frightened the people. These were immense flashes of lightning and fiery dragons were seen flying in the air. A great famine immediately followed these signs. And a little after that, in the same year, on the 8th of January, the raiding of heathen men miserably devastated God's church in Lindisfarne Island by looting and slaughter. Lovely. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's <laughs> all great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and going back to why Lindisfarne, you know, why Lindisfarne has got this enduring... Um, sort of role in, in, in our memory of the Viking Age is I think, you know, the, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, it's being written about 100 years later um, at the court of King Alfred and uh, and it's no coincidence that we get all of these divine portents beforehand these fiery dragons and stuff like that and a famine, it's all very biblical and he's sort of um, casting the, the Vikings as, as uh, this sort of divine punishment to help in his struggle against the Vikings, which is going on at that time. Um, okay. So so there's definitely emphasis on it in the Chronicle itself. And do, I th- we, do we know much about the actual behaviour of, of the Norsemen, what, specifically while they were on Lindisfarne and generally on these raids? I mean, was it just, did they just rejoice in absolute butchery or was it more refined than that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think... Um, it probably depended much on on the situation. So, for example, that that the 
the Irish raid I mentioned earlier, they were they were clearly after um, hostages. Uh, they, they probably weren't just enslaving them. They were probably capturing them and then ransoming them back to uh, to the, the rich men of the, of the community. Um, so in that kind of operation, I think you'd have to imagine that um, that it was quite, you know, I'm sure people got killed, but but they were also <laughs> trying to take people alive. Yeah. Um, but on other occasions, we do get sort of more of a sense that they just went in and, and butchered everything or, you know, made off with what they could, you know. Yeah, anything that's not nailed down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean... Back to people, back from people in Dudley and Birmingham again. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, I should... One of the things that's always, you know, fascinated me about the Vikings, and I, 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 I'm a medievalist, but I'm not an expert in the Vikings, um, mm. is this problem of, of, of the sources and... Yeah. We've got all of the contemporary or near contemporary sources, if you, you know, include the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, about the Vikings seem to come from the people that they that, that the Vikings were attacking and plundering and killing. Yeah, and absolutely. so, as a historian, is it a bit like trying to judge, you know, Brexit and the EU when all you've got is the Twitter feeds of Jacob Rees-Mogg, Michael Gove, <laughs> and you know, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you no, would have absolutely. absolutely no clue about it if you just stuck to the sources of the anti-EU people. Um, it, it, are we dealing with the same thing or not? I think I think so to a certain extent, at least from what we see coming from the British Isles and Ireland, because mostly our sources are um, are chronicles, um, which you know, short yearly accounts. Like they, they'll just give a summary of what happened in a, a year, but they're almost. Uh, I think I think they are all produced in monasteries. They're, they're produced by the people who are getting raided. Um, who yeah. are very unlikely. To, to be positively disposed <laughs> <laughs> towards, towards it was a very people. civilized affair <laughs> yeah exactly um uh, and i think and actually we get a much more nuanced picture when we start looking at sources written by people who weren't quite so sort of threatened existentially um by the way so- there's there's a sort of a bit of a movement to to say oh the vikings are all completely cuddly and and and, and lovable but I, I don't think that's true but um i think they were still pretty brutal uh but yeah i don't know if they were any more brutal than than anyone else operating at that time and and I, you know there's there's decent examples of that um yeah the, the franks for example i mean one one probably a huge moment in in history at least as far as danish uh kingdom formation is concerned is in uh, 804 when charlemagne wins his war against the saxons he he basically rounds up as many Saxons as he can find and says, either convert to Christianity or I'll kill you right now. And <laughs> and he does. He kills tons of them. You know, he slaughters them. Um, and that's a bit of a Hobson's choice, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. so you know, we we shouldn't uh, imagine that anyone else uh, was less brutal. And and when you read the the, these annals, especially the Irish annals, you know, Ireland yeah. at this time, um, even more, even more small kingdoms than than we have in Anglo-Saxon England. You know, there, there's tons, there's tons of them, and they're all squabbling with each other and raiding each other, and you know, there's they're raiding churches as well. You know, churches are not immune just because they're Christian. I'm sure Dave wants to get in, and I'm, I just want one final point, which I'm sure won't make the edit because we've been waffling on too long now. But <laughs> not wrong there. But, but we, we're getting on to you know favorite subjects, and again, I, I always think of 
the Anglo-Saxons when they first came to the British Isles, you know, in the sort of fifth, sixth century. And they seem to me, they were doing more or less the same sort of thing to the Romano Celtic British, you know, who were there. Uh, and these Roman Christians are writing, oh, these terrible Anglo-Saxon pagans are coming and they're, yeah. they're, they're defiling our churches and they're killing us all. And then fast forward 300 years, the Anglo-Saxons are now Christian and they're saying, oh, these terrible people are coming from the East and they're killing us all. <laughs> Yeah, oh, they, the cycle of history. They weren't they weren't gifted with a sense of irony. I don't no, know. <laughs> um, but um, and and actually, there's there's a, even concrete examples of that. There's a famous uh, sermon written by a an archbishop called uh, Wolfstan um, in the early 1000s. Um, he writes this this sermon where he even mentions um, these these British sources uh, from the 500s complaining about the Saxon raiders. um he and and you know without a without a a hint of irony at all so uh yeah (laughs) fabulous so bringing this back to linda's farm ben uh after this initial raid there appears to be uh, a period where there's very little viking activity around the coast of britain at all can you speculate as to the reasons why that might have been the case yeah i mean it's 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 difficult to to try and um, to be certain about this, you know, what what exactly was going on. Um, and often in the Viking Age, you know, when Viking activity stops in one place, you you look to another place and it started up there. You know, they've just they've just moved their their main theater of operations. But that that isn't really what's going on here. And I think I think um, you know we still get a few one or two sporadic raids, but there's nothing like the volume that we're going to see later on. Um, and I wonder if part of that is that um, um, Charlemagne died at the start of the of the uh, ninth century, um, and and so this sort of big existential threat that had been causing all of these knock on effects in Scandinavia just just uh, went away for a bit. I mean, his son uh, Louis the Pious was was a much less effective uh, sort of military force. So he he. Uh, tries to get very much involved in um, in the politics of what's going on in Scandinavia. You know, he sponsors various uh, uh, various Danish warlords or petty kings. Um, manages to convert one to Christianity, a guy called Harald Clark. Um, and 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 also at the same time, we have quite a, a lot of um, of a breakdown of political power in Denmark as well. The the king um, who had been such a thorn in in Charlemagne's side, Godfred, he dies, um, and and there's a bit of a vacuum after that with various factions all fighting against one another. Right. Um, and so I wonder if if on one level this big existential threat is gone, and on another level um, there's just less political organisation um, in Scandinavia to sort of organise these things. Maybe maybe you know th- there's there's some theory that. Um, a lot of Viking raiders might have been sort of um, contenders for the thrones, you know, of these petty kingdoms that got pushed out. Um, okay. And so they, 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 they're in exile. They go off to, to amass money and fortune to come back uh, and press their claims. So, right. so now they're all back in Scandinavia pressing their claims, okay. fighting against one another. So they don't need to. Uh, but but it's, it's very difficult to be sure. But, but um, I think what's... What's what's telling is it, it, it's always good to try and take this broad view and and never look at one thing in vacuum, uh, and I think the problem is that um, the sort of way that 
the Viking Age was interpreted uh, back in the 19th century when they came up with this period. Um, it, is, it was very Anglo-centric, you know, very England-focused. It starts with a raid on Lindisfarne, ends with the Battle of um, Stamford Bridge in 1066. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it, it, it's more revealing to look about uh, at what's going on elsewhere because I think it's, it's quite interesting that, um, that you can look at the events going on in Denmark as, as much as we know from Frankish sources and uh, and the raids pick up when they have uh, sort of strong figures, strong kings appearing in the record, and they die down when there's much more infighting. Uh, um, so you know that it could be that you know that that that's just a coincidence. Um, and unfortunately, we're working with so few sources that it's hard to be sure. But I, I think I think we should see cause and effect sometimes. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Going back to the very beginning when you said one of the theories for why these raids start in the first place was that they're they're seeking the sun and better weather. <laughs> it's not the case that they that they tried England and went, hmm, this isn't that good actually and, and then <laughs> they went down to, to the Mediterranean or, or anything like that. Oh well I mean you, know, you could do a whole you could do a whole podcast on the Vikings in Spain. Um yeah. which is an area people don't think of very often, you know. Yeah, uh, I must admit I hadn't the Vikings uh, in uh, in Greece, um, you, you know, there's uh, they did like the the nice weather as well. They did seek that out. <laughs> I, I have a fr- I have a friend in Australia who I've uh, have corresponded with over the years, who is going to listen to this podcast and absolutely piss herself laughing that finally she's listening to me talk about the weather <laughs> with other Englishmen. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> because she she thinks we're obsessed with it, and by the looks of it, yeah, she's probably right. I mean, I, it's been brought up a couple of times this <laughs> this podcast. So. <laughs> we, um, I've got another question for you, Ben. Actually, uh, yeah. we should start to round up soon. But why do you think? I mean, well, do you think that the Vikings are the best seafarers in town in this period? Um, I mean, uh, you know, are, are there any other? Uh, I don't want to say naval powers because that would that would be an anachronism. But do you know what I mean? <laughs> are, are these guys? If you want to sail around and and do this sort of thing, are, are there any other people doing anything like this? I mean, that people talk about the Venetians in the later Middle Ages and 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 the and the Genoese. Um, I don't know. Can you can you talk about that at all? Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, I, I have to confess my ignorance about uh, what goes on <laughs> beyond the sphere of uh, Western Europe during this period. I must yeah. say, but. But I think it's fair to say that that there is a sort of maritime um, power and prowess here that that, that we we don't really see um, at least in this corner of the world at that time, you know. Yeah. And I think it, I think the 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 lengths that um, the sort of Norse migration reached speaks for itself, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, they 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 made it all the way to to Newfoundland, you know. Yeah. The, um, and. How much of that is tied into the design of the ships themselves? But they had very sort of durable ocean-going ships. That we particularly they start to emerge later on. We start to see them in, in the ninth century, in the in the tenth century. These these ships, which had, um, you know, they've obviously got a very streamlined shape, but very high sides. Uh, which I think I think that is a factor. You know, I think technology uh, technology is a factor, and we can see it evolving um, in time with. Um, sort of 
events that we knew happened, you know, like uh, of, of them spreading to Iceland, for example. Um, we know that that um, there's there's two very famous um, ship burials in um, in a museum in Oslo uh, called the the uh, the Oseberg ship and the Gokstad ship, um, and they're very useful because they show a sort of evolution of style. Um, and one of them, the Oseberg ship, it's an older ship, um, a few decades older. And, um, and we think it was probably mainly coastal, you know, it probably couldn't make it huge distances overseas. And the next one from, yeah, 50 years later or whatever, uh, has these high sides and, and could probably, uh, it's thought it was probably a proper ocean going ship, you know, that that could make it to Iceland. So perhaps we should sort of finish up by, well, one of the ways we can finish up is talking about the the immediate legacy of Lindisfarne and the wider impact on on Northumbria, England, the North Sea world. I mean, is this a big deal in the immediate historical case, or or does that come later with, you know, Alfred and the, and the great Viking army that comes in in, in eight six five? Yeah, I'd say I'd say the letter that we have from Alcuin is is a pretty good indication that this was a major event at the time. You know, it sort of rocked the the Anglo-Saxon world at least, um, because this was such an important religious site for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ho- Holy Island. You know, it's still still known as. Um, but um, but yeah, I think mostly its its legacy was later on. Um, whether it's in Alfred the Great's period, where he's using it in this sort of, uh, it appears in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle along with all these divine portents or whatever. But but also centuries later you know when people are creating this definition of the viking age it's a it, it, it i think a lot of its legacy comes from that it's sort of settled on as a very convenient and and kind of emotive start to the viking yeah. age you know um but I, yeah i think it would have been an, a, a very significant event at the time and i suppose we can also talk about the more modern you know long term legacy of the vikings in general and we're coming back to Lagatha. And, and, uh, well, we're coming back to Lagatha, yeah. And, <laughs> we, we can't let Lagatha lie. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, you know, hands up. Uh, it seems like I should based on what I've heard today. Um, Having done uh, some research on Lagatha, uh, I'll, I'll put it that way, there seems to be uh, a, a question between historians with very differing viewpoints as to whether Shield Maidens of the Vikings were actually a thing and whether they existed. Yeah. And I'd be curious to get your feeling. Is, is this female fighters you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to sort of, to give my, my, my feelings on it, which are yeah, kind of nuanced, I suppose. Um, and it, this is, this is an idea which is obviously, you know, circulated for a while. And, and that's in part because we have these old Norse sagas, which have, um female warriors in them um you know um and, and they're all the problem is they're all legendary sagas that were written like four centuries after the viking age uh, they're they're all quite late so it's there's always been this open question about about how realistic they really are and we we actually speaking just about written sources we we basically have nothing from from the the period itself to actually confirm that there were uh female warriors but okay. then the sort of the game changer in 
recent years has been this um, this burial that was found in Sweden in uh, Birka in Sweden, where they yes, I read about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely fascinating find where it's um, they had this they had this burial this chamber grave um, that was sort of it was often cited as the the stereotypical Viking warrior grave because you've got the skeleton in it, you've got um, horses. Um, and you've got um, weaponry, spears, swords, bow and arrow, shields, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, well, they recently did, um, they tested the bones. And uh, it's, a, it's a woman, it's a female skeleton. Um, wow. And and so this has sort of started off quite a, a debate in the, uh, in, the, in the scholarly community about, about what this means, you know. Uh, and, and is this the proof? I mean, I feel like the, the writers of, of the Vikings must have been must have been absolutely chuffed that that they sort of <laughs> they they threw their hat into the ring on this one and then and then like eight years later <laughs> this, this burial evidence popped up which seemed to corroborate them um but the, the sort of the question that's raised is how do we like determine whether a grave is a warrior grave or not um yeah because a lot of the time we don't have skeletons uh, in the graves and even when we do you know it's expensive to get them tested um and so we don't always know whether this is a, a skeleton a man or a woman people always just assumed that if a sword is in a grave then it's uh then it's a male warrior and now we have evidence suggesting the opposite and so you know what does that mean i mean it, it, it could in theory mean uh it could just be some sort of religious ritual it could be symbolic but i mean my feeling is that if you find a, a grave with tons of weapons in it, the the community that buried that person, they saw that person as a warrior. Yes. Um, and whether or not that means that the warrior was fighting in battle um, or whether it was sort of like, you know, this is, it's, it's a very rich, wealthy grave. So whoever is in it, I think, I think the big story that, that, that we shouldn't miss is that the, the woman who's buried in this grave, was the leader of that community or was a leader right. in that community. She Which was is, powerful. Yeah, that's a big deal in itself. For, yeah, know, exactly. For history, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and maybe then she's sort of symbolically viewed as a warrior or maybe she's actually a warrior, you know? And yeah. um, one of the interesting things about that is um, the, uh, the skull has uh, a sort of partially healed wound in it, um, which could be the, the wound that, that, uh, that killed her. And, uh, and again, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what caused it, but at the same time, if you saw that, if you saw a, a skull with a, with a partially healed wound in any other grave that you hadn't tested and found out it was a female skeleton, there'd be no question in anyone's mind, you know, good point. A Viking warrior. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Absolutely. you know, I think, I think uh, we, we should keep our minds open to the possibility, but I would also say that it, it probably wasn't super, you know, widespread necessarily. Mm. You know, but but new tests are going on all the time. I think um, there are some. There was a grave discovered recently that was a, a female grave. I, th- I think we're going to see more and more of these as time goes on. Fantastic. Duff, do you have anything else? I think we should leave it there. To be honest, I mean, we're, we've we've probably spoken far too long uh, for, <laughs> for half an hour, haven't we? But uh, it, it, you know, what do you think? I think we should thank Ben for his time. Uh, That was thoroughly enjoyable. And while he's on air, we should make him promise to come back next season and cover another Viking topic for us. Oh, it would would be a pleasure. I I 
absolutely love rambling on about my, <laughs> my special <laughs> yes. subject. Yeah, As you can yeah. tell, I mean, there's been a l- plenty of evidence of that. This. <laughs> well, before we before we cut it uh, cut it off, then Ben, was there anything you wanted to uh, to mention uh, in terms of your work or anything before we disappear? Oh yeah, I should. Uh, yes, I should absolutely um, plug a website which I um, and uh, a colleague of mine, um, Dr. John Hui. Uh, I, we worked on together on behalf of, of the, uh, the Anglo-Saxon Northern Celtic Department in Cambridge. So it's uh, it's a resource which um, is aimed at, I mean, uh, primarily at people doing sort of A-levels, but we wanted it to be accessible to anyone who just wants to know a bit more about the Viking Age. We, we sort of split it up into modules. Um, and so the, the address for that is uh, ASNC Viking Age. Uh, dot com, no spaces or lowercase, etc. We can put a, we, we can we'll, put a link in as we'll, well. Put, yeah, we'll put the links on uh, on our Twitter and uh, Facebook for that. No problem. Absolutely. Oh, great. Awesome. Fantastic, Ben. Thank you for your time. Yes. Cheers, and Darth. Thank you for yours as well. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I, and, yeah. I give it willingly to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I look forward to doing this again in season two. Absolutely. Hooray. hope you enjoyed this podcast and we would love to get your feedback if you want to say nice things or just point out all our errors then please do get in touch we are at hp history pod on twitter and facebook or you can email hp at mail.com thanks for listening